Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Joey, I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to do Cut for Time during this series because there's a lot to unpack in Lamentations and there are a lot of feelings. Yes, here. <laughs> there, yes, feelings alert. We're going to feel all the feels. Um, there's a lot. There is a lot in Lamentations for sure. Yeah. So, um, all right, we just started the series. Why don't you give us an overview of your sermon on Sunday? And then we're mm-hmm. going to dive in and answer some questions that people submitted and you'll get to share what you've got for time. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Lamentations is a book that, um, as best we can tell, was used in an annual uh, service of remembrance on the anniversary of the the destruction of Jerusalem, 586 BC. Um, Babylon, you know, after an 18 month long siege, Babylon uh, finally broke through the gates, took over Jerusalem. I mean, you know, think of a siege that lasts that long where they're, they're cutting off, they're starving the city, they're cutting off food supplies and stuff. And so they, it's just, it's horrendous stuff, right? You couldn't buy bread with even your most precious jewels. Um, Lamentations recalls uh, in chapter two, and I think in chapter five uh, recalls uh, women whose families were so starving that they were considering, you know, my infant, just died because I can't feed it. They might become food, right? It's mm, just, mm. oh, it's just horrendous stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And these are the things that happened and that then come up and are, are rem, you know, people are reminded of in Lamentations. Anyway, so the, the book itself is five poems that is that that was used in this annual service of remembrance it might have actually happened uh twice a year we're not entirely sure it could have happened both on the anniversary of this the beginning of the siege and of the fall of jerusalem so it would have been a couple couple of months apart um and it was used within the community that's still in and around jerusalem after uh after the fall so uh, after the fall of jerusalem so you remember um, Jerusalem falls most of Judea is sent into exile like 90% of the people are deported but for the 10% that remain including Jeremiah and a few leaders and others um, th- they have to deal with this on a regular basis because um, it's just right there in front of them they're living in the rubble you know like living in some of those post uh, World War II cities like Krakow you know that had been bombed out or Warsaw or some of those you're like, literally living in rubble um, trying to or you know <laughs> Ukraine right now like it, you can't you can't deny what's happened and, and so you have to you have to deal with it um so lamentations is that five poem sort of five services in a row that lead people on a journey through uh their grief um knowing that we're going to come back to it next year and the year after that and the year after that and so as we were looking at preaching this series through lent um you know it, you kind of want to in each sermon, you kind of want to say everything and like help people go the full distance um, in each particular sermon. But we're very intentionally, because it's a series, because Lamentations does it this way. This week, just looking at chapter one, all we wanted to do was give people permission to feel. Just, hey, it's okay uh, for you to feel grief. Um, I didn't bring it up in the sermon, but have you ever heard of the phrase spiritual bypassing? 
No. Okay. So spiritual bypassing is this thing that happens um, in plenty of churches, um, plenty of ministries, predominantly in um, in women's ministries and women's curriculum and books, basically using scripture to tell people, hey, you shouldn't be feeling that way, right? If I mm -hmm. said to you like, oh gosh, I've got this thing coming up and I'm feeling anxious and I don't whatever, um, well, then you would respond with, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be anxious about anything. And you're like, but I am. So, uh, but I shouldn't be. So it's like uh, spiritual bypassing is using scripture to tell people don't feel what you're feeling sure. um, because you're not allowed to, or, you know, whatever. So okay. um, we just which wanted to give people. Not accurate. Like it's not a good use. Which is not accurate. Yes. Not a good use of scripture. Yeah. And we could talk about uh, emotions and wisdom and how those things come together um, in a bit if we want to. But um, we wanted to say, hey, Lamentations gives us permission to feel what we're feeling, to feel anger, to feel grief, to feel sorrow, to feel all of these things. And we don't have to, we don't have to pretty it up. We don't have to try to put a theological bow on it. We can just feel it and we'll move along the grief process in the weeks to come. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, we've got so many questions, but before we get to those, why don't you share what you have mm. to cut for time and then we'll yeah. come from there. Yeah, so I cut out a, an entire, you know, five or eight minutes of just describing the book itself and the historical background and some of that stuff because, you know, it would have been fun to, to cover, but we needed to keep it within time. So, um, so just a few things along those lines. Um, a, like who wrote this book? We're no, we don't know. Um, tradition says Jeremiah. In fact, in some of the other translations of the Old Testament, there's an extra verse at the beginning that says, um, Jeremiah sat down and lamented this lament. And that's sort of the introduction to the whole thing. Um, did he, did he not? Uh, it, it's, that's probably a later addition um, to the text. Um, but Lamentations comes right after uh, Jeremiah um, in the canon. Um, so it's like, well, it, it's contemporary to Jeremiah, at least mm -hmm. right, after, uh, right after the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, um, but it, it seems like it's a service that was kind of, it's poems that were kind of tweaked and developed and compiled and put together probably over a course of years as um, the people are kind of leading each other through this annual service and adapting it for the needs of the people. So the, the form in which we have it, the kind of final form uh, in which it's come to us, um, I doubt is um, strictly Jeremiah sat down and wrote it all out this way. Um, but I'm sure he, you know, if he's there, he had some part in, in how this whole thing went together. So some of the fun things about it that don't really come through in English as well is that the, the first poem, the second poem, and the fourth poem are all uh, acrostics. They use the Hebrew alphabet. And so verse one, first word starts with the letter, the first word starts with the letter Aleph. And second verse, verse two is the first is the stanza, second stanza, the first word starts with the, the letter bait. So all of Beit, Gimel, Dalet, you know, all the way down through uh, the Hebrew alphabet. That's why there's 22 stanzas in the first and the second and the fourth uh, poems. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, I mean, that's kind of like acrostics are kind of cheesy or uh, mm -hmm. humorous, right? Like, uh, what's the song? Um, Al is for the way you look at me and O is for the only one I see, right? Or yeah. uh, someone who, who makes an acrostic poem out of your name or something like that. Yes. Um, but for them, it... It, it carried a different sort of emotional weight um, to work your way through the alphabet was to progress through something 
um, but also to kind of communicate this sense of like, well, this is the fullness of grief. Like this is a horizon to horizon view of grief um, by being able to put it this way. It shifts a little bit in the third poem. The third poem is also an acrostic, but instead of each stanza beginning, the first word beginning with the letter, um, each line in the stanza begins with a word that begins with that letter. And so that in uh, the third poem, verses one, two, and three are the first stanza, and each verse starts with a word that starts with Aleph, and then four, five, and six each start with Beit, and on and on down. Mm. So, um, you know, the third poem has, chapter three has like 66 verses, but it's just, as, it's the same length as one, two, and four. It's just versed a little differently because the acrostic works a little bit differently. Um, in the fifth poem, when the congregation herself speaks, yeah. it's not an acrostic, um, but it is 22 stanzas. So it's that same number of stanzas, but she's not yet able to put her, put it in order like that to be able to be comprehensive about her grief. Uh, just not there yet in the grief process. Um, mm -hmm. So some of that, you know, some of that yeah. stuff's kind of kind of interesting. I mentioned, I think, on Sunday that even the poetic meter that's used um, sort of limps along. You know, probably the one thing any everybody remembers from high school English classes: iambic pentameter. Da 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 da. -da, -da, -da right. Um, this is sort of a limping three-two, where it's da 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 da. -da, -da that you, know, you, you never quite feel like you get the rhythm of it. Um, and it's it's a, a meter that was um, every dirge is written in this kind of this kind of meter of this I just can't get the rhythm of trying to explain you know how I feel. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. Um, so that's that, that's basically what we know of the historical background of it and and could probably go into more details too, but uh, that's the gist of what I had to cut because there just wasn't time. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing. I think that there's like such um, beauty in understanding that part of the book because um, in the way it's written, it's the way we feel those types of things, right? Like that is mm -hmm. how we feel. We may feel like we're at a loss for words or it's just like we can't yeah. process. We, I think that's relatable. So I'm glad you shared that. Um, so you said that it was probably read annually. Do you know what time of the year or the Jewish calendar it would have been read? And then at some point, did they stop reading it? Was it a, did they stop having this be a regular practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, scholars, uh, agree probably either the fifth month or the seventh month, um, the fall of Jerusalem. I forget. We know the exact date. Um, I'm looking it up real quick. Um, yeah, July, uh, Babylonians took Jerusalem. So roughly around July uh, would have been the annual um, remembrance of it. And it would have, uh, we, we think it would have lasted probably up until um, the return from exile, Nehemiah and others coming back and beginning to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls and those sort of things. So mm -hmm. uh, at that point, right, as God is bringing his people back from exile, uh, the lament is able to be left in the past. Well, you have the generation that experienced it is more or less gone. Um, and the lament can can fade into the background as it has shifted into, oh, you know, all of the appeals to God to do something, to bring his people back that are in lamentations uh, are starting to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. 
with it being an annual practice to lament, mm-hmm. like, is that maybe, would you say that that's like a, um, a pattern or a practice that you would recommend for our people in their grief now, thousands of years later, because I know the Bible tells us to recount God's faithfulness. Um, Mm. but are we told to recount our grief? Like what if years later we aren't feeling it, but we're like, we're going to remember, we're going to sit in this for a second. And like, it's the anniversary of a loss or it's whatever. Like, is that something Mm -hmm. that's like really Mm -hmm. healthy or is there, and then it's like, okay to say, we're ready to not do that anymore. Like, what do you think? Mm. Yeah. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Like, should we do this or is it? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I do think there's a lot of value in remembering um, because even if we don't remember, um, at least in my personal experience, it's, it's going to leak out. And like for, for my wife and I, May just sucks. We hate the month of May. Um, multiple miscarriages happened, uh, you know, different years, but in the month of May, um, Mother's Day is in May, and it's like that's always one of those anniversary or, or dates that kind of punches you in the in the gut when infertility is part of your story. And so, um, it, we every year we'll kind of we'll get a couple of weeks or a week into May, and then be like, man, why does this just feel so? Uh, oh, right, it's May, you know. So it, for us, at least, even ten years out from things uh, or fifteen years out from things, it still kind of leaks and, and hurts. Um, and at least having something on the calendar gives you permission to remember this is this happened um and it's it's okay that this happened um well it's bad that it happened but it's okay that i'm continuing to live with the pain of it i, I mean our culture doesn't do a great job of of honoring grief uh and sorrow like we want to move past it quick uh and just and get beyond it um, so is it healthy? Uh, really depends, I think, on what your what you think health is. Is health um, uh, always feeling positive emotions all the time, or is health uh, being able to maturely sit down um, within grief, recall it to mind, um, without it overwhelming you, but giving yourself permission to feel hard things again? We we just don't want to feel hard things. Um, that's part of our culture. There's a book, uh, probably 30, 40 years ago, called "The Denial of Death." Uh, by Ernst Becker. And he he talks in there about how Americans uniquely, uh, we do everything possible to deny the reality of death, sorrow, suffering, and loss. Um, yeah, it's an interesting book where he goes with some of those arguments. But um, I would say an annual remembrance of some sort um, can be pretty significant and pretty healing, even if, you know, 15, 20 years into it, you're like, oh, you know, the the old pain isn't there anymore. Like, now from this far out, I have the perspective of seeing how God is working. The The pain is has become fertile ground for other things to grow. Um, yeah. That in itself is worth remembering. Yeah. All right. Um, so we preached this book four years ago, which, mm-hmm. holy cow, that seems like a long time ago, or it sounds like a long time ago. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. And so you and I know you and Jeff have approached this series a little differently. You've been intentional to kind of like um, change the passages you're preaching that you weren't assigned mm-hmm. last time. You know, um, can you just share in general, how are you guys approaching this book differently this year in 2024 than maybe in 2022? And then um, 
just like you personally, um, why are you, maybe like if you're sharing something different, how are you deciding to go about that? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. I think the main different perspective we have on the book now is that four years ago, we were approaching the book as um, a helpful tool for personal lament and grief. Now, post COVID, um, we can look at it as a helpful tool for national grief, community grief that we didn't have before. Um, we didn't have something similar, um, you know, four years ago. And, and so the book carries a little bit more significance in that, oh, we all, whether, you know, right now is a, a, a period of personal sorrow for someone or a period of personal joy and rejoicing for someone uh, in their family, we all have the collective, we went through this period of great loss uh, together. Um, and so, you know, Lamentations being a community lament um, helps us. So we have that different perspective. Um, we also, you know, we didn't want to just copy what we did before or try to manufacture the same emotional responses that we did before. Yeah. Um, I, I clearly remember the sermon I preached on it and like it was tough for me. I almost threw up before preaching it because I was sharing some of my own laments in it. Um, and so I didn't want to just do the same thing again. Um, also, you know, we're live streaming now. So like last time I said, hey, cut. I'm going to share some stuff that's not going to go out. Well, we can't do that quite as easily on live stream. Um, so there's some technical differences. But um, I've also, in four years, processed some of those griefs and laments from last time around. And so they're not quite, some of them are just not quite as poignant or uh, close um, as they were four years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And so that that's, I'm different. Jeff's different. Um, you know, for me, some I've moved past some of my griefs. Uh, or moved through them, um, I should say. Uh, for Jeff, um, he had lost his father just before we uh, preached this last time. And since then, he's lost his brother. Um, so for Jeff, the the griefs and the laments are much closer than they were uh, four years ago. Um, so we're each different. And um, what we've gone through collectively is different. So it mm -hmm. seemed like we needed to approach it a little differently. Yeah, I appreciate your thoughtfulness in that space, you and Jeff. Um, all right. So someone asked us when trying to examine myself, what clues can I use to help me to know if I'm ignoring my grief um, mm. or lament and other feelings? And if I'm acknowledging them in a healthy way, which again, mm -hmm. you goes back to what is healthy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What is healthy? Yeah. Well, um, I think the, the, the biggest thing to look for is, um, responses to negative situations where the response just far outstrips the the actual situation itself mm. like that that's kind of the key marker um talking with uh pastor bob before preaching this bob blonick who's who uh was pastor here at faith for a number of years um you know, he's a counselor and so in his experience he was shared with me uh, men almost always uh take unacknowledged grief um turns into anger just in general in men unacknowledged grief turns into passive aggressive anger or aggressive aggressive anger and in women in his experience um unacknowledged grief turns into depression um now which isn't to say if you're depressed it's because of unacknowledged grief or if you're angry it's because of unacknowledged grief it it, it works one direction but not necessarily the other direction um but that's a pretty good clue that there's stuff going on inside that um, you just haven't dealt with if you're finding yourself responding inappropriately to a particular situation. 
Um, you know, we could use yeah. the word triggered, right? If you're being triggered by something, um, a trigger is responding in the present to pain from the past uh, that you haven't you haven't uh, been able to deal with uh, or process in the light of God's gracious faithfulness. So um, I think that's probably the biggest clue. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier, like the role of wisdom and emotions. And so um, I'll just, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about that a little bit, because this is something yeah. I talk about when I do with couples, when I do premarital counseling, and we're talking about emotions and how you respond to things. Um, it, ancient wisdom, um, you know, thought of our emotional responses as coming out of the virtue of wisdom, meaning, uh, and the, the form of wisdom that is, am I seeing the world correctly? So outside of the church, there tends to be an emphasis that like emotions are never wrong. You know, what you feel is you. Yeah. And so you have to, you know, feel those emotions and acknowledge those emotions. If you don't like some of those emotions, well, um, you try to don't suppress them or repress them. That's damaging. Just come to terms with the fact that this is what you feel. This is, who, you know, your emotions are who you are within the mm -hmm. church. Like we talked about spiritual bypassing. There's this, no, you have to bring every thought captive and bring every emotion captive. And so um, don't feel grief. Don't feel anger. Don't feel pain. Don't feel anxiety because Jesus, you know, doesn't want you to feel anxiety. Um, I think there's some ancient wisdom that is helpful here in that our emotional responses, emotions are physiological responses to the reality of the world as we perceive it. And the as we perceive it part is key. Um, part of wisdom is the ability to perceive the world rightly. And so if I am perceiving the world incorrectly and then responding to it emotionally, I'm having the appropriate emotional response to an inappropriate understanding of the world or the correct emotional response to an incorrect understanding of the world. So part of how as Christians we uh, approach and address our emotions is learning to see the world more rightly, more correctly. Um, not trying to suppress the emotion. Um, like I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel fear because fear is, you know, fear is wrong. It's saying, okay, what am I afraid of and why? And what is the reality uh, of this world that I'm, I'm missing, especially what's the spiritual reality of the world that I'm missing? Um, you could think back to like the, um, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, uh, you know, don't be anxious because your father cares for you, right? And it would be like, uh, you know, my daughter's 13. It would be like Anna being just really anxious about, gosh, how... How are we going to pay our mortgage this month? How are we going to pay our mortgage this month? Every month, she just gets really anxious about how are we going to pay our mortgage? Are we going to lose our house? Am I going to live on the street? And her mom and I, if Anna ever said something like that, you know, her mom and I would say like, hey, girl, we got this. Like that's on us to worry about, not on you. And, and that's what wisdom does is wisdom realizes within God's providential, you know, working in the world, there are things that are up to him that aren't up to me. And so I don't have to worry about them because he's got them. And so understanding that is seeing reality in a different way, seeing reality in a different way gives me a different emotional response um, to the world. So um, to tie this back into where the question is like, what should I be looking for? Look for uh, emotional responses that are out of scale uh, with what's coming in. And, but don't try to you know use those emotions as signposts to point you in the direction of, man, what am I holding on to uh, that I need to process? 
what is there about God and his working in the world that I, I don't understand kind of on a visceral level such that I'm still responding uh, it, with these emotions instead of emotions that are more appropriate to reality, uh, the reality of God working in the world. Um, <clears throat> so those are signs or signals that it's unhealthy. Do you have signs or signals that it would be like actually healthy response? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a really good question. Um, my, uh, I've asked my therapist a similar question and she has told me like, if you are able to quickly move from a single emotion to uh, a broader range of emotional, uh, responses to the same thing, um, that's a pretty good sign that you're seeing it more comprehensively. For instance, somebody does yes. something to you and you're just angry. And that's the only emotion you're able to feel, anger, uh, a longing for justice. That's That may be a right response. But if you're able to move from anger and a response for justice to also a sense of almost pity for the way, I don't mean pity negatively, but you're seeing the person who did the thing that is wrong um, you're like, you know, they're also hurting themselves and they're also destroying themselves in their own sin. And so as much as, you know, you're angry, but you're also like, oh, I, you know, don't you see how what you're doing is hurting yourself and you feel sympathy and compassion for the person that is harming themselves. Um, you're able to, to see, you know, from pity to compassion to also a, uh, an acceptance of, I don't know how God is going to use this, but he's going to use it somehow. So if you're, if you find yourself able to move quickly to a broader range of emotional responses to a particular phenomena, instead of a single response, that's a pretty good indicator of health. Sure. Yeah. Um, did you ever get a chance to watch the reel that I sent you on Instagram? I did. Yes, I did. And I, I I can't watch them on my phone. And so by the time I, I saw it on my laptop, I, I forgot to respond. Okay. So tell everybody. I think I'll, if like, if you think it's a good fit. Yeah, uh, include the link. We'll share it. And I could just share the the thing on Instagram in our stories. But um, it's not the beginning that was, is captivating to me so much as like the end of this reel. That was so striking. It's this woman who's experienced grief and the loss of her husband when he was really young. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and like, I think it was in his thirties. And um, she just said she, for a long time, thought that trust, um, trust in grief looked like just saying, okay, God, like this, whatever it is, like, I trust you to use this and I mm -hmm. will submit to your plan and this is what's happening to my life and I will just be here. And she mm -hmm. realized that that's not, um, it's, it's okay, but it's not true trust. True trust in her relationship with God looked like being able to voice all of the hurt. And um, yeah. she was able to lament with hope, knowing God will restore what he's and like be true to what he says will happen. And so she doesn't do it without hope. And so that's what real trust looks like. Trust in her relationship with God looks like her able to say all the junk and all the sadness yeah. and all the ugly feelings and all the anger and be angry with God because he can handle it. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's what true trust in Christ in grief looks or like trust in the Lord with grief looks like i know i'm yes. not doing it justice honestly she does it way better so i'll just share it but oh yeah share it and listen to it yeah because it struck me that she describes early not trust but resignation okay god you're more powerful right. than me 
there's nothing I can do. So I guess I'll just live with it. But those aren't her words, but that was the feeling of it. Um, which is not what Lady Jerusalem does in Lamentations. It's not what happens in the Psalms. Um, it, it, in those in biblical laments, it's it's always, God, you said you love me. You said we had this relationship. I, I don't understand what you're doing. Like, really, is it supposed to be this bad? Like, do I deserve this? Like, it's all of that that oh, ugly stuff we should never say to God because you know He's more powerful than us. And it's like, yeah, but He wants a relationship not just, you know, subjects who uh, are like, okay, you win because, you know, you're bigger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and also he was, knows your good. true heart and like, it's probably there yeah. and you're just not lifting it up. already knows anyway. Words, but he knows uh -huh. it. So let it go. Yeah. Yep. But it's words. Yeah. Okay. So Joey, we have, um, this is like a, something that we're doing as a whole church. Like you said, we're coming back yes. to this and with a new mindset of we are lamenting as a community. Um, but in that community, we've got people who are, yes, in current deep grief or sorrow mm -hmm. um, from however many years back to present. And then we have people who may feel um, like they are experiencing a season of joy. So mm -hmm. um, how would you encourage the people who are who feel like, um, you know, maybe like this is maybe harder to relate to in this season or they don't um, they don't know quite how to connect to the series? What would you say to them um, to encourage them and how to engage in this mm -hmm. lamentation series? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You're right. We have a range of people. We we have people on the far end who are feeling great grief and do not want to acknowledge it or or deal with it because it's just too painful. And for them, it may we may just say, hey, just just listen, you know, just let these words kind of percolate. You may not be there yet. You may still be in the inarticulate cry of grief phase, right? right? And then we have those whose laments are far in the past, laments who are present, um, and yeah, people who are in a season of rejoicing. So um, it's a community lament. Lamentations is bringing the whole community together, and they've all experienced the same thing. They're living in the rubble of you know the former glory of Jerusalem, um, and it's the same thing with our community. So we are all there's collective laments of being in a post-COVID world and what we all went through there. Um, but even bigger than that, there is the collective lament of like the song we sang at the end of second hour. Do you feel on Ash Wednesday, I think. We sang it on Ash Wednesday. Do you feel yeah. the world is broken, right? We do. Uh, do you feel the shadows deepen? Yeah, we do. So we all at least can feel and practice lamenting the brokenness of the world, the, the pain of sin in our own lives and in the lives of people we love. Uh, and the destructiveness of selfishness that we see around us. Um, we may not want to feel those things because those are negative feelings and negative feelings are called negative for a reason. Uh, but I would encourage someone who's like, I don't really have anything to lament to say, well, why don't you take this series to look around a little bit um, at A, the world and the brokenness and fallenness of the world and the effects of sin. Um, look maybe side to side at the people next to you and even if, especially if you're in a community group context or something like that, say like, hey, what are you carrying uh, that you maybe haven't ever talked about or don't want to mention? Um, because it gives you a chance to feel the weight of the grief of the people around us. Part of bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another is even just knowing that the people next to me have griefs they've not articulated to me personally. Um, and then seeking deeper relationships 
benefit by sharing some of those griefs. Um, and then I think the third way to approach this, uh, this, uh, this sermon series is to say, well, this isn't necessarily where I am right now, but I'll be there someday in this world. You will have troubles, right? Um, so I'm going to need this personally at some point. Uh, and I hate to think about that. I hate to acknowledge it. You know, it reminds me of th those, um, there was like insurance commercials a while ago that were just, I saw a ton of them. And one of them was like, Hey, when people, when you ask people to predict their futures, you know, they're 70% positive, 30% negative, but actually their futures are more or less half and half positive and negative stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We're all going to experience some negative things. We're going to need lament. We're going to need to remember we have permission to grieve, to grieve without trying to make sense of, you know, trying to make sense of it in light of who God is. We need to be able to grieve and move into those things. And so um, if anything, it might be tooling for the future. So tooling for the future, help for carrying the griefs of the people next to you in a way of expressing like this world is broken and I don't know what to do with that. And so it, it, a few ways, I suppose, to engage. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, hopefully um, it's beneficial to the whole body. I know I know it will be. Um, and so I'm like really thankful that you and Jeff are doing the hard work of preparing these sermons for us and preparing your hearts to share um, in not just yourselves being vulnerable, but like tapping into that space as a whole body like I just it just doesn't happen very often and so we're just like yeah. thank you for being willing to go there and um be honest like be open on cut for time and um that's just like that's a gift to all of our people so thank you oh, yeah thank you well I'm um excited is not the right word but I uh, I am um anticipating so Pastor Jeff's preaching the next two and um, both the, the lament of chapter two, which sort of just intensifies chapter one, but then into chapter three, as the, the pastoral mentor starts to move the congregation, he begins to preach and he mo is moving the congregation towards, he's sharing his own stories of grief for their benefit that's disconnected from the whole Jerusalem uh, catastrophe uh, and begins to say, but you know, one thing I recall and this I bring to mind, um, great is thy faithfulness. Right. Um, so we see an initial, like, even in the midst of grief, we can remember the faithfulness of God. And so I'm, um, I'm really, I don't know what the right word is, um, but I know Jeff is going to um, just do a really good job of, of sharing those in that turn for us. So I'm, I'm anticipating what that will, the permission that will give us as a church. Yeah. yeah I didn't say that well, but I'm really excited yeah. for how Jeff's going to pre preach about grief. <laughs> no, I not know. the it's right way to say thing. it. No, I know. It's really weird. I think we know your heart, though, and yeah. um, I think that it, you can say that because you know that true lament and um does bring healing and restoring work. And so you might you're not necessarily excited for the hard work, but you and the hard feelings, but you are yeah. excited to see true healing in your in the people that you shepherd. Yeah. And I think that that's totally great. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Okay. Thanks for your time, Joey. Absolutely. Yeah. See you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithlivitout.org 
or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.